This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu. That's C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N dot E-D-U to download this book in PDF format or to purchase this book. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Rusus John Rushdoony. Copyright 2007, Mark R. Rushdoony. Published by Calcedon Ross House Books. P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California, 95251. All rights reserved. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by R.J. Rushdeny. Chapter 27, Dangerous Confessions, Part 2. There are dangerous confessions of another variety, and here it is difficult to write freely about actual incidents because each is unique and identifiable, whereas most sins can be recounted because they are so commonplace that the sinners are many and the events routine. What follows, therefore, is generalised, but nonetheless real. Especially in the world of commerce, decisions are often made quickly and routinely, deals consummated by telephone and often much left to discretion and trust. In a series of such transactions, a man makes a serious error which costs the other man a fair sum of money. On other occasions, he had served the man excellently but have found him to be unkind, grasping, greedy and difficult. On reflection, he realises that his costly error and oversight came from the fact that, in a rushed situation, he found that man easy to forget and now his conscience troubles him. He feels that he unconsciously got even with the man. What should he do? Should he confess his oversight to the man who assumes that a crowded market situation prevented the proper and timely consummation of this contract? If he does so, the man will surely sue and destroy the confessing man. Should he balance out the years of good he has done for the man and write off his mistake? The second solution involves lying to himself and to God. He sincerely believes and knows he was wrong and was in effect punishing the client by pushing his order into the far background of a hectic schedule. He knows that he cannot deceive God, nor is he deceiving himself. He knows also, also that he has since been careful to the extreme in dealing with this man and has been a, and has been a help to him. If, however, he attempts the first course of action and tries to confess and make restitution, he will be sued with pleasure by a very litigious man. What is the godly course of action? This kind of situation is not uncommon in both Catholic and Protestant circles. The choice of illustration is not the best. In some instances, going to a person to confess a sin against him and unknown to him can cause both grief and harm. Some people insist on making such confessions and they thereby harm innocent people in order to unburden themselves. There are thus two aspects to such confessions. First, an unforgiving and vengeful person can use it to destroy a person. Second, a conscience is superficially salved by passing on the knowledge of sin to another. In some instances, there is a Pharisaic pride in confessing a sin to a person totally unlikely of ever knowing of it. It becomes a self-righteous way of hurting another person in the name of virtue. 
it usually brings to light a sin unknown previously and totally unlikely to be known. Because sin is primarily against God, it must be confessed to him. On occasion, it must be confessed also to men and restitution made to them. Where it cannot or should not be made to men, it must, as with all sin, be confessed to God and restitution made to him. A variety of offerings in scripture called for sacrifices to God for sin. This is the essential direction for confessions of sin. The promiscuous confession of sin can be dangerous and disruptive. Instead of healing, it brings about division. It often bears the marks of hatefulness. What else brings a man or a woman to confess a flirtation or an adultery or some other offence 15 or 20 years after the event except to hurt the person? If it were a case of stealing something and removing suspicion from others, then it is legitimate. Then too, restitution can and must be made. In fact, confession without restitution, in such cases, gives the confessing person an emotional release but restores nothing. In fact, it worsens the relationship because it is not a valid confession. John Calvin opposed confession to priests or the clergy as a mandatory requirement. He cited James 5.16, Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another. This applies where the situation requires it. However, quote, If our confessions must be made only to priests, then our prayers ought to be offered for them alone. End quote. Calvin objected to making the clergy the exclusive channel for confessions. According to him, this mandatory practice did not begin until the time of Innocent III. This is not to say that in some places it had not been required. Calvin, however, went back to St. John Chrysostom to show how great a bishop viewed the matter. Quote, but this abrogation is plainly attested by Chrysostom, who was himself also a bishop of the Church of Constantinople, in so many places that, is it, that it is surprising how they dare to open their mouths in contradiction of it. Confess your sins, says he, that you may obliterate them. If you are ashamed to tell anyone what sins you have committed, confess them daily in your soul. I say not that you should confess them to your fellow servant, who may reproach you, confess them to God, who cures them. Confess your sins on your bed, that there your conscience may daily recognise its crimes. Again, but now it is not necessary to confess in the presence of witnesses. Let an inquisition into your transgressions be the work of your own thoughts. Let there be no witness of this judgment. Let God alone see you confessing. Again, I conduct you not into the public view of your fellow servants. I do not oblige you to reveal your sins to men. Lay open your conscience in the presence of God. Show your wound to the Lord, who is the best physician, and implore a remedy from him. Show them to him who upbraideth not, but most mercifully heals. Again, you certainly should not tell it to a man, lest he reproach you. Nor is confession to be to a fellow servant, who may publish it, but show your wounds to the Lord, who exercises his care over you, and is a most merciful physician. He afterwards introduces God, speaking thus, I constrain you not to come forth into the midst of a theatre, and assemble a multitude of witnesses, declare your sin privately to me alone, that I may heal your wound. 
Shall we say that Chrysostom proceeded to such a degree of temerity when he wrote those and similar passages as to liberate the conscience of men from obligations imposed on them by the divine law? Certainly not. But he dares not require as necessary what he knows is never prescribed in the word of God. End quote. Calvin held that it was every man's duty to confess his sins. At times, a man may need pastoral guidance and care as he confesses his sins, and some occasions warrant a confession to another person than a pastor. Faithful confession ought to be free, not required. Restitution must be a part of the act of confession where restitution is due. At times, the whole church must implore God's pardon. At other times, an individual's public offence may require a public confession. At other times still, a person may require pastoral guidance to relieve his dis disquietude of his soul, Calvin said, and to recognise the nature of his sin. Because all sin is primarily and essentially against God, because it is his law which is broken, Psalm 51.4, it is often also directed against men. Sinful confessions can be directed against men also. The following episode came to my attention, perhaps accidentally, but it was some time before I became aware of the extent of the dishonesty and evil involved. Two couples, neighbours, were also good friends. One couple was Catholic, the other Protestant, both with churchgoers. The Catholic wife was very devout and also very active in parish activities. The Protestant husband was not only devout, but also a tither, which his wife resented. The Catholic husband and the Protestant wife were both adulterous at various times, not with each other, too close to home, and they were contemptuous of their mate's faith and fidelity. Whether by mutual agreement or not, both made confessions to their pastors of an ostensible adulterous relationship between them. Their excuse, for which they claimed to be heartily sorry, was that their mates were adulterous. This left the priest distrustful of a faithful woman who was important in the parish. It left the pastor equally distrustful of a good elder in his congregation. In an evil time, things are evilly used, and confession is certainly so used at times. The abuse of confession at the time of the Reformation was the subject of attack by Catholic writers even more perhaps than by Protestants who concentrated on faith and doctrine. It is necessary to view confessions with some degree of objectivity and scepticism. The psychological insight of Dr. Bergler was great when he described a common offence by patients, pleading innocent to the lesser wrong in order to conceal a greater one. Some people confess to endless trifles in order to impress their pastor with the fact that they are ostensibly very sensitive souls. Boccaccio in The Decameron tells an amusing story of a man, Ciappatello, perhaps the worst man ever born, who, while visiting Burgundy on business, fell deathly ill. In making his deathbed confession, to avoid implicating his evil associates, he gave a false confession which seemed to attest to a saintly and extremely sensitive soul. He was so impressive that after his death he gained a reputation as a saint and, quote, it is claimed that through him God had wrought many miracles, end quote. Such fraudulent confessions are still with us and in all churches. 
sin is common to many quarters. Counsellors who urge or welcome confessions are easily victimised. There is no small pride in some people exploiting and lying to a clergyman. An elderly priest of about 70, some 30 years ago, observed that he had never heard a man confess to being stingy. That statement tells us much. It should enable us to see how dangerous confessions can be in fooling the pastor and furthering sin. Our original sin, in Genesis 3.5, is to be as God's, knowing or determining for ourselves what is good and evil, right and wrong. It is this that must be stressed. The sinner must see that his true offence is attempting to be his own God. He may be willing to admit to many particular sins with a show of humility and contrition, but too often not to the heart of his sin. This is the end of chapter 27. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.